There's a lot to say about the deliciousness of steaks, burgers, and kebabs, and the wonders of a summer cookout. But we figure, why go through all the trouble when beef can speak for itself? Just listen. Translation, beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. And welcome to Sunday Coffee. This is a cold Sunday morning. And uh, I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Farm Bureau Studios go with the home team. Farm Bureau, the agents in all counties throughout the state of Mississippi. Tremendous customer service. Charlie, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. It's good to be back on a Sunday. And it's also good that baseball season is getting closer. One, because I like baseball. And, well, it's just good that baseball is getting closer. Yeah, it is. Let me tell you what I did yesterday. I mean, I, I stayed outside and cut up some trees and tried to burn pile. Still a little bit too wet to burn. I didn't watch any sports yesterday. Completely got away from sports yesterday. Even though the baseball scrimmage was going on and a second big scrimmage on the weekend, and I guess, hey, let's jump in. Let's not talk about, hey, we kind of we, we kind of got away from what our, our core is a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about some things we normally don't talk about. And I'm not going to talk about what we normally don't talk about. But today, baseball, playing in a scrimmage yesterday. I tell you what, man, it was baseball weather yesterday, 30 degrees. It was cold. The countdown is here next Saturday, next Sunday. We've got an open weekend. But two weeks from right now, we're going to be in that booth at Duty Noble Shouldn't be as cold in a couple of weeks if you look at the long-range forecast. But, yeah, baseball is here. Yeah, I was going to ask if you'd looked at the long-range forecast yet. I was wondering if it was going to be like 38 with snow flurries, 20-mile-an-hour wind out of the north. You know, Joe Deere is good about that. Joe Deere is the one, and I have not looked at it. Joe Deere has said, and, of course, the former baseball SID, has said the long range is like in the high 50s, low 60s for that first weekend. So, we will definitely take that. If I gave that to you right now, you're signing up, no questions, right? If I told you 55 degrees opening day, but with sun, are, are you on that right now? No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Now, the thing about this stadium, and everybody talks about the bells and whistles of this stadium. Let's just bore into it about, from our standpoint, what the greatest thing about this stadium is is we can plug in a heater if we need to plug in a heater. In the old stadium, they were like, don't plug in a heater. It'll blow out every piece of electricity we got in the entire stadium. <laughs> that actually reminds me of a story. If I will not call any names, but there was a regional in the early 90s uh, where some people had run a power cord up. Remember the old ticket booth? The old little, little hut there as you were coming into the outfield? Oh, yeah. It was a room for one person. It was a phone booth. Well, there was a plug there, and someone that I've heard of, I'll just leave it that way, had run a long extension cord up there for the purposes of plugging in a blender to uh, make some non-alcoholic frozen beverages, and in the process of running that blender, uh, the scoreboard went out, uh, and power went out out there, so it's been blamed. Uh, you you kind of laugh about one heater can blow up everything. Uh, it's always been said out there that one blender did, in fact, blow out a scoreboard. And a squirrel can knock out the power for an entire campus. And we've seen that before in the middle of a baseball game. That's what happened 
with the uh, South Carolina game a couple years ago too, wasn't it? That last weekend we were doing where everything went dark on us, was was that a squirrel too? I'm not sure if that was a squirrel or if that was just a malfunction somewhere on campus. But it was like a Tuesday night game. I can't remember if we were playing Memphis or who we were playing. I think it was Memphis. And about the seventh inning, the squirrel got involved in something that he didn't need to be getting involved in. Probably gnawed through a wire that probably shouldn't have been gnawed through. And the stadium lights went out. And it was one of those deals of, okay, let's see if we can get the lights back on. But after about you know 15 minutes of understanding and realizing what had happened, all right, we just need to need to go to the house. And which is crazy in today's world of sports that a squirrel can completely stop the action. The good thing is I think we had a big lead, and so we just called the game and went home from right there. But if it's a tie ball game in the eighth inning and a squirrel knocks out all the, the power, then you got a problem. My favorite delay that I ever saw as a kid was a fog delay. We were playing Georgia on an SEC weekend, and everything was just perfect. It was a normal night, and then all of a sudden, the fog, I always tell people, you don't really think about fog blowing in, but the fog was like a cloud that just slowly blew in from behind the stadium. And I remember Tommy Raffo hit a fly ball that nobody could see. The, the outfielders just stood there. And it hits, he ends up on third base with a triple, a fog-aided triple. And so that was always one of my favorite delays. The game that we had, going back to the power issues, that final SEC weekend a couple of years ago, that was South Carolina we were playing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was South Carolina. Uh, yeah, all the power was out in the entire stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, because remember they actually had the lady come out and sing the national anthem, and we didn't have a PA announcer. I kind of enjoyed that, honestly. I understand that everybody likes going to games for bells and whistles and videos and all that, but there was something just kind of cool about take the field and play ball. No walk-up songs, no noise, no nothing. Hey, didn't uh, Major League Baseball do that a few years ago? No, Buck Showalter was talking about how they did that in Baltimore where they had a game where they had no walk-up music and they played the game so much quicker, like two and a half hours. Hey, I can go down this rabbit hole all day about delays. Well, I want to go to one because we're you're talking about going quiet. So, obviously, I've talked before about being a Yankees fan, and I think a guy that you and I both like was Bob Shepard. Bob Shepard was the old PA announcer at Yankee Stadium, and he did the Giants before that. But Bob Shepard, he was the exact opposite of all the guys who scream into the microphone. It was like the calmest delivery ever on everything. And Bob Shepard had passed away. But in honor of Bob Shepard, the stadium went quiet. So there was no PA announcer for that entire game. It was one of the coolest things I've ever been to in a major league game. Yeah, that's right. That that entire thing was completely quiet that day against South Carolina because me and you got on Periscope and we're broadcasting the first two or three innings and we were kind of sharing the microphone back and forth. Hey, let me tell you this before we get going. We were in Arizona 2005, Friday night, playing Arizona, and at 9 o'clock exactly, we're at about the seventh inning, the sprinklers came on. And the sprinklers are running, and they're running, and they're running, and they're running. And finally, somebody comes to the booth and says, hey, it's going to be a few minutes. The groundskeeper went home, and he's the guy that's got the key to the irrigation box in center field. So the guy comes back. It takes about 15 minutes that the sprinklers running. And I remember saying in the broadcast, we're in the middle of a rain delay in clear skies in the middle of the desert. 
because we were in Tucson, Arizona, and we waited for about 15 minutes. And then they had to get the field ready because the sprinklers had been going for about 15 minutes. Anyway, hey, I could go down this rabbit hole all day. Looking at yesterday's scrimmage, State played six innings yesterday, and I guess pitching was the story in that scrimmage yesterday. And, Charlie, that's kind of what our thought process is for this season. Preston Johnson, Casey Hunt was very good for for one team, and then – Cade Smith and Andrew Walling were exceptional for another team. And so are all four of those guys really pitched well yesterday. All right, now you used the word exceptional. Let me bring out the half-negative uh, Bart here. Uh, Bart, were you happy about the fact that we had two guys have more walks than they had innings pitched? Well, and th- we talked about this last week, Charlie, about you know, pitchers getting behind and last year how good we were at not striking out at the plate but striking out so many batters, you know, when, when our pitching staff was striking out so many batters. And this year, that's that was my big question mark coming in, is how will this team be as far as getting ahead of batters and getting strikeouts? Now, we've gotten strikeouts so far early on, but like you said, you saw the walks yesterday. Andrew Walling retired the first five guys he saw, and then he walked four guys. He got in trouble in his third inning of work. And we had a number of guys who had trouble with walks yesterday. Now, the good thing is, if you're going to walk guys, you better be able to strike some guys out too. But And we did do that. Let's talk about Walling a minute because he's going to be an interesting guy to follow this year because, look, left-hander throws very, very hard and has good stuff from all accounts. But it seems to me that the key for Walling, everybody says, well, Walling's going to be our Saturday guy, and he may be. I think the reason I say let's wait and see is because of the the stat line from yesterday. Pitches three innings, gives up only one hit. You like that. Strikes out three, you like that. But he walks four. It's almost like a guy like Walling, whose stuff is that good, who throws that hard from the left side, it's almost like hitters aren't going to beat him so much as if he beats himself. And you say, what does that mean? Number one, you walk guys. Number two, you fall behind in counts. And you end up being in those situations where now it's 2-0 and and you got to throw a fastball. And as you well know, Bart, I don't care how good your fastball is, hitters certainly have an advantage when they know it's coming. Yeah, you can get away with 95 straight down the gut on a 2-0 fastball if you're in the Horizon League. In this league, on a Saturday afternoon in Fayetteville, if a guy's sitting at the plate and it's a 2-0 pitch and he knows a fastball is coming, it doesn't matter if it's 95, 96, 97. If it's hard of the plate where that pitch is probably going to be, he's sitting dead red and he's going to turn it around. And so then you go back to yesterday. That's the thing that you want to, to watch a walling. I think that's the case for so many of our guys, though, is going to be can you throw strikes? You talk all the time, and I think it's a very good point, about the importance of not having big misses. And I think the the little bit that I've seen Walling, that's the one thing, it's like be pinpoint for a minute and then a big miss. I think the key is when you miss, don't miss big. Yeah, just give the guy something to think about. And when you throw a pitch that's six inches off the plate or you throw a pitch that's up around eye level or a pitch that's in the dirt, you're just completely taking your – that's a wasted pitch. I mean, a complete wasted pitch. The thing we saw yesterday, because I'm glass half full, I guess, in the duo today, if you're glass half empty, is Casey Hunt and the way that he pitched yesterday as well. You know, he hit the first batter, 
and then retired nine in a row. I mean, he, he just did a great job. He was that guy. He was kind of that guy we're talking about with, with Walling that last year at times fell behind and was 2-0. and And, Charlie, here's the thing, you know, just because – and this is a point I kind of want to bring up. And, you know, just because we get our mindset on what a guy has done – last year or the year before doesn't mean that's going to be the same guy he is this year boy that's the jared Lebelt story right you know jared Lebelt comes in here his first year well he he had everything go wrong i mean i think his era was over 13 he hit a ton of guys he threw a ton of wild pitches he walked a bunch he gave up more hits than he had innings pitched and i'm thinking who on earth identified this guy and then he comes back the next year, and, you know, you want to go give a pat on the back to whoever whoever identified the guy because he pitched in over half your games. He had an ERA under three, was absolutely dominant, and there's still pictures and videos of him. Like, if you go to the Pitching Ninja Twitter account, he still got stuff up there. I mean, he had a wicked two-seamer. And so you go back and you say, well, why can't other people improve like that? I think they can, and I think you've got a pitching coach who's pretty good about letting guys develop and figuring out how to bring them along and identify what it is they do well and to start doing more of it. Hey, how about Chad Gerardo? I mean, first few years he was at State, everybody said, hey, game over, and not the way you wanted to talk about it. Then there's last year here it was, hey, game over in a good sense. What was the line? Barbecue sauces flying out in the lounge? Yeah, Langboroughs. Here comes Gerardo. Yeah. Here comes barbecue sauce in the outfield flying around on Super Bowl all weekend. Who hit that home run? It was a massive shot. I tried to erase that from my memory. It was Florida we were playing. Yeah, and they won like 18 to 1 or something like that. Okay, hey, scrimmage yesterday, you know, pitching wise, we talk about Andrew Wallen. Casey Hunt was was really good too. Preston Johnson, a guy that so many people have talked about being a possible starter. You know, Preston was was good yesterday. Kate Smith had some difficulties at times, but really came back and worked his way out of trouble. They went scoreless yesterday in the scrimmage, 0-0 through six innings, and the pitching kind of dominated, and it was brutally cold outside. And so nobody really got anything done offensively. But, Charlie, I guess one of the storylines that we want to talk about is when you see what we did defensively yesterday, Cameron James out in center field, you had – Skinner playing over in left field, Jess Davis over in right field, kind of mixing and matching. What are your thoughts about Cameron James being in center field? I, I was talking to Matt Wyatt earlier this week, and we were talking about this. And if you talk to some scouts, they say is his game may translate better to an outfield spot going forward. And, of course, Brad Cumbus did not play yesterday. The reports from last weekend as he pulled up Lane coming into second base on a double – Possible hamstring, not exactly sure, don't know. Here's one thing we do know, any kind of muscle pulls in cold weather early in the season, you want to be, you want to take your time and be very patient with those types of injuries. So he was not there yesterday. But, hey, you can't read a whole lot into what you do defensively in a scrimmage. But I thought it was really interesting yesterday with Cameron James out in center field. I think it is worth noting, and I think it's obviously something worth discussion, I don't know that it means that much. I think what it does is it just tells me that Chris Lamonis is still who we thought he was, and that's a guy who wants to know what his options are. So you, you look yesterday, you've got Gray Bain playing over at first. You've got Von Siebert playing there. 
I think what you see is, number one, I think Chris Lamonis is a guy who is willing to play a matchup game when he needs to. I think he's going to figure out what his core lineup is and, and try to go with it. But at the same time, he'll move some pieces if somebody is not playing well or if somebody's not defending well or if somebody's injured. And you know, for whatever reason, we don't tend to think that much about injuries in baseball, but they are a very real thing. You know, we had to deal with Tanner Allen having injuries at one point a couple of years ago. Look, in the final game last year, you didn't have Brad Combust. And so you say, well, why is Braylon Skinner playing left field instead of center? Well, if Brad Combus is down, you may very well need Skinner over there. Uh, late innings, defensive substitution. Let's face it, we could put an outfield out there that is terribly offensive and very limited defensive. And so all of a sudden, then you're in a situation where you got a two-run lead, you're going to the bottom of the ninth. Uh, depending on where you are in the batting order, you may make some changes. And you may want both Davis and Skinner out there. Somebody better remember how to play on the corner. So I kind of like it. I like the idea of shaking things up and, and seeing where you can go. I like the fact that you got two young guys in downs and offer time at third base yesterday. Let's see what they can do. Because if you've got options, there's no point in, in not figuring them out now. Hey, what have we said? You don't put too much in. What, what did I just say just a minute ago? You don't put too much stock into what you see in the scrimmages. But let's overthink this for a minute. Let's, let's, let's really overthink this for a minute. In the past couple of weeks, the thing we haven't seen is Luke Hancock at first base. You know, if you're thinking along the lines of, hey, we're going to try to grow him into that position and we want to get him some work, is that telling us something? If we're really overthinking this a little bit, is that telling us that Luke Hancock is going to be your DH? I think what it's telling you is that it is very difficult to catch an entire season in the Southeastern Conference. And you say, where do I need the most work for Luke Hancock to get him ready to help us this year? I think you know what you've got with him at first base. I think catching just requires more drills, more fundamentals, and more work. And I think, again, going back to that injury possibility, if Logan Tanner pulls a hamstring, you know that Luke Hancock has got to be your catcher. I look at that lineup yesterday. It was clear they were tweaking a lot of things I think only thing you're trying to do right there is to get Hancock some some work there. Now, might he be the DH? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's going to depend on where some other guys are. Look, I think Hancock was kind of underrated. I get it. He wasn't a gold glove guy at first base last year, but he didn't hurt you. He didn't hurt you defensively at first base. And go back to the uh, the championship game, the play he made where he's throwing it to DeBrule before DeBrule's even at the bag. I thought he did a nice job. I think he can do it there, but I think you have to have somebody else ready to catch, and I think he's your guy. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you somebody that does not overthink things, somebody that use some, uses simplicity because they found a niche, and that's Strange Brew Coffee. Strange Brew Coffee. I've got mine this morning. Hey, the thing that they've got now, not only can you buy it online, strangebrewcoffeehouse.com, and they will ship you that great strange brew coffee. You can put it in your coffee maker. But they also have pods. They, they've got the new pods that they'll ship to you. Strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. Three locations, two in Starkville, one in Tupelo. And, Charlie, right now, a big old tall boy of strange brew coffee right here. Hey, you're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Starkville. And I'm down here on the farm on a very cold, cold morning. And nothing is better on a cold morning than a good hot cup of strange brew coffee. 
grabbed mine on the way in this morning, and so caffeinated like I need to be on this morning and, and ready to go. Charlie, we start talking about all these question marks, and we, we talked about them last week about, you know, what do you do with Cam James and Braylon Skinner and where these guys are going to play. And, you know, you feel good about your core, but here's the thing you, you got to start thinking about. And, and, you know, we talked to Pat Casey, and we're going to have that interview during our midweek show this week. And Pat Casey and Matthew Maniscalco had great conversations with those guys. And we're going to start our out-of-left-field midweek show this week on WFCA and then kind of go into Sunday Coffee next week and get you ready for the season. We'll have four shows for you. But one of the things that Pat Casey said was you can't defend the national championship. You've got to go into year number two and just – like it's another season, and go out and try to capture the national championship, what I thought was really good. Now, when you go on the road in the SEC and you go to Fayetteville and you go to Oxford and you go to to New Orleans against Tulane, in the fans' mind and in the players' mind in that other dugout, you are the defending national champions. And so going on the road this year, even though Mississippi State, when they go on the road, it's been a – we talk about Kentucky and basketball, about every time Kentucky goes on the road in basketball, somebody has a wide out and the atmosphere is tremendous. Hey, let me tell you this, man. We start talking about Mississippi State and LSU. Those are really the two schools in the league that bring out the best of every fan base. Well, and you start talking about – what it looks like to the opposing team, I think it looks a little more like defending a championship if you're in that opposing dugout because we have so many guys back. You have a Landon Sims back. You have a Logan Tanner, Cameron James. It's not like, in fact, even Oregon State, in between their two championships, the year two team had a very different group of starters than year one. They actually rebuilt and came back and won the thing with only, I think, maybe two returning starters. But we got a lot of guys back. Now, obviously, you lose some big ones, but you got a lot of your front-end guys back. And so it's going to seem to the opponents a lot like the the same team that won it a year ago. I think this team is going to have some opportunities to get tested earlier on that very thing that you were talking about. Look, you've got a really good – yeah, top 25 team coming in here opening weekend. But it's coming in here, so that helps. But going down to New Orleans – and then playing Texas Tech, that five-game stretch there. I right, so actually think about this. It's really a six-game stretch. In Scott Berry, Southern Miss team, you've got them in Pearl. Scott Berry, a great guy, by the way. Um, so you've got him March 2nd with Southern Miss. Then you go down to New Orleans, three games in Tulane, and then you come back with a pair against Texas Tech. You've got a chance to be made uncomfortable in that stretch. You're playing away from home. And look, Tulane last year, as much as I hated those guys, Bart, I think they did us a favor. They got us uncomfortable early and made us deal with it. And if they did that to us in our stadium, they're going to be annoying as possible in New Orleans in early March. Hey, last year, Brandon Oltoff, Braden Oltoff, Brandon Braden is one of the two. I mean, you remember he kept on like sticking his finger in his glove like he had something on his glove. And, man, it messed with our dugout. I mean, it messed with them. And Chris Lamonis was finally like, hey, you know, these guys are chirping so bad. I've got to go out and defend. And, hey, we got to check the glove. And he didn't have anything in there. I mean, you talk about a team that played mind games, and you said, you said it right, made us uncomfortable. They got in our head big time. 
And like you said, going down to Turchin Stadium down in New Orleans, and they're going to have some fans and some crazies behind them to kind of get in your head. You're going to figure it out. Hey, that's one thing we haven't done. We haven't looked at the schedule. And that was one of the things that, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about. Like you just said, Charlie, we've got a good core of guys that can go on the road and have been there. They've been to Nashville and guys dancing on top of the dugout. And, you know, that's that's one thing that we do have. We've got some guys are going to be playing and have it. But looking at the schedule overall, is there a point that you look at it? You know, last year we talked about playing LSU early in Baton Rouge was big because you didn't want to play them late in the year when the wind starts blowing out of the south. We went down there and we won two out of three. And it was big because – on that Friday night, LSU hit fly ball after fly ball after fly ball against McLeod that stayed in the ballpark. You know, in May, those goes out, go out of the ballpark. But is there a part of the schedule that you look at and say, okay, this is the big part? Is it that little, little you know, five games, six games you know, with Southern Miss, Tulane, Texas Tech, or is it somewhere else in the league? I think that's a big part of the schedule. But I'll, I'll tell you the one that I think a lot of people overlook, and that's opening weekend in the SEC on the road at Georgia. And Georgia's not a name in baseball right now that many people from the West are going to say, oh, no, don't make us play Georgia. But you know what? This is a top 25 team right now. What are they, like 16th or so by D1 baseball coming in? So this is – and you go through their lineup. They have six guys in their fourth or fifth year that will be position players starting, and that's probably not their best players. I mean, you got guys coming back, multiple guys who came back hitting over 300 a year ago. And so you got a fifth-year guy at shortstop. You got a fifth-year guy in left, a fifth-year guy at third, a fourth-year guy at second, a fifth-year guy at first. You know, that's a guy, that's a group that's been around. Now, on the other hand, you could say, well, hey, if you're here for your fifth year in college baseball, you weren't good enough to get drafted. But you have to keep in mind that the past several years, the draft has been limited. The options in the draft haven't been what they used to be. And the effects of that five-round draft from a few years ago, I think, are still clogging things up a little bit. And they also, what, they got the number one Juco pitcher coming in. They've got a guy who's a a right-handed pitcher, throws mid-90s, who's projected to be a first, second-round pick. I think that opening weekend of Georgia is not going to be a cakewalk. I think it's going to be hugely important to figure out a way to go over there and win a couple. Yeah, you talk about Jonathan Cannon, that big right-hander. You know, he's a third-year sophomore. Went four and two last year, mid-90s. And like you said, Charlie, projected, you know, late first round, early second round pick. He had 57 strikeouts last year and just 13 walks. You talk about Dylan Ross, too. He's a transfer, right-handed pitcher from Northwest Florida State, a junior college yeah, he's he's a big time player. Uh, to me, when I look at the schedule, and, and that is, hey, that's that's going to be a tough start for you on the road. Now, from a standpoint of players on the field, now every time I've been to Foley Field, it's it's not a situation where you felt like the fans were on top of you and it was just a a crazy raucous atmosphere. You know, for us going on the road to Fayetteville this year is going to be tough. Going on the road to Oxford is going to be tough. Like I just said a minute ago, we are the defending national champions to those guys. Both Arkansas and Ole Miss have not won national championships in baseball. And, hey, to be honest with you, you know, we've we've kind of paraded around a little bit, which, hey, first time we've ever done it. I'm excited about it. But those guys have probably taken notice. To me, 
those weekends bookend what I think is the biggest part of the year. It's a nine-game homestand April the 5th through April the 19th. Now you got Jackson State and UT Martin in there, okay. But I want to look at the, the seven games in the middle. Three games at home against LSU, then a Tuesday night game against UAB, and then three games against Auburn at home. When you start talking about going on the road to Fayetteville and playing in Oxford, playing in Athens, and playing in College Station, which you're going to play in tough places on the road every year in the SEC, you've got to take big care of business at home. And LSU is going to be really good offensively. I think they're going to be one of the top offensive teams in the country. And what you do that weekend against LSU at home, and then Super Bulldog weekend, the 14th, 15th, and 16th, that Easter weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday against Auburn. I think those are two massive weekends for us. To You hate to say bank wins when you're talking about LSU and Auburn, but that's a weekend you got to bank some wins. I think back last year to Arkansas, we played them early in the season, and we talked about as we left that series, now you know what you have to do. We're going to get some of those opportunities pretty early, and I kind of – taking part of that series that, or that home stretch rather that you talked about look at that six game SEC stretch there where you get Arkansas on the road and LSU at home in back-to-back weekends you're going to leave those two weekends knowing a lot about what it is you have to do if you want to be a national champion you figure out a way to go five and one in that stretch and boy you're going to be feeling pretty good uh, you go one and five and all of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of questions being asked about how good this team really can be. Yeah, we talk about the SEC in football. We talk about it in a lot of sports. I think softball, to be honest with you, from top to bottom, is the best. it's the best sport the league is the best in because just about every team's in the top 25 or every team is going to regionals. But you look at the schedule this year. We play eight teams in a series, not just one game. We play eight teams ranked in the top 25. Two, five, eight, nine, fourteen. If you're talking about Texas Tech and the two games down in Biloxi, sixteen, nineteen, and then twenty-four is Long Beach State. We open the season with, and so you talk about getting your oil checked. And you're going to figure out how good you are. You're going to find it out because you're playing four teams in weekend series that are in the top ten in the country. What about that Texas Tech series to you down in Biloxi? I think it's great for fans. Now, we went down there a couple of years ago. We actually broadcast a show after one of those games, and it was a great atmosphere, sold out the ballpark. Man, it was awesome right there, you know, right across from the Boer Vodge at MGM Park. What are your thoughts of that, that series? Because you're talking about two top 15 teams. We won the two games against Texas Tech a couple of years ago. They were ranked top 10 at the time. But Tim Tadlock, they got Trevor Young, the the best second baseman in the country. What are your thoughts on that two-game series down in Biloxi? Overall, I think that's a series that can help you, doesn't hurt you. And what I mean by that is if we are sitting here at the end of the year, kind of on the bubble between being a, let's say that we're sitting here as maybe the eight national seed or the, the nine, and then all of a sudden it's a question of kind of where you're sitting in terms of maybe hosting a, a super. Well, my personal view is that if you can beat Texas Tech a couple of games, all of a sudden that's one of those things that the guys in the meeting room can say, hey, look, here's what they did in conference. Look, they had a, they played out of conference a top 25 team. They beat them twice, uh, or even if you split respectively. But I don't think you're likely to get beat up by the committee for not winning those games. But I think it's a chance to give yourself just a little bit of a boost at the end of the year 
and it may be an impact if you're on the line if you win those games. Is that am I off there? No, not at all. I mean, I think that's one of the things that you know the the people look at and talking heads will talk about is you know the matchups within the SEC and the Big Twelve, and you know how do you perform against those? And it's kind of unfair, like you just said, Charlie. It's it's a little unfair because you got Tuesday and Wednesday guys going for both teams. I mean, you start thinking about us. We're coming off a three-game series with Tulane, in which you're going to throw every bullet out there you've got, and so you're going to you're going to use everything you've got against Tulane. And so the good thing is, is we we do have some depth in our bullpen. But you know, what do you do on a you know Tuesday, Wednesday, coming off a big tough weekend? Is it a tremendous gauge of exactly who you are as a team? I don't I don't think it is because you're playing midweek against a a really good team. Hey, that actually brings up a point. I thought at times last year we were hurt a little bit by having too much pitching depth. And what I mean by that is that in a lot of these midweek games, it was almost like we felt like at times that we had to turn the bullpen, you know, that we had to get guys through the gate and on the mound and just keep turning them around. And so you end up with a ton of guys last year who have 10, 11, 12, 13 innings pitched. Are we going to be better this year if you take the equivalent guys and now they're at 20, 21, 22, maybe than we were a year ago? I think so. I mean, when you start talk, talking about throwing guys out there and getting work, and, you know, last year, as you said, Charlie, you know, we were, we were pitching sometimes eight guys in a game. When you throw them out there, you know, one inning apiece, and you don't get a whole lot of work. It was almost like a bullpen session in front of people is what it turned into. And so you're not going to have as much depth, even though you're going to have a lot of depth this year. And so, you know, what does that look like? You know, Bednar – Took up some innings last year during the regular season, but just not a ton. I mean, he was a five-inning, six-inning guy the entire year. You know, early in the year, we didn't use him hardly at all. And so yeah, I think you're going to have a lot of people stacked in there. Now, the thing about it is, is you've had a year to manage it. I don't think we're going to have as many pitchers as we did last year. But I think you're right. I think it hurts you. Because when it got down to late, when it got down to regional time, super regional time, and then College World Series time, you really narrowed it down to the guys that threw games uh, last year. And so, um, hey, this kind of feels like a Friday deep dig. Looking forward to doing those on Friday. Friday deep dig, and they're brought to you by Tracks Plus. Tracks Plus really didn't have a chance for a segue there, Charlie. I kind of I was listening to everything you said, and I was trying to play off and trying to figure out some kind of segue. Just couldn't find it. But Tracks Plus, four locations, Hickory, then the one in Columbus between Columbus and Starville Summit, and then Alexandria, Louisiana. And so Tracks Plus, Barco equipment for the Forester, Saney equipment if you're looking to dig a big old hole with an excavator and all that construction equipment. And so Tracks Plus, great customer service. they got a big service center down in Hickory where they can fix anything if anything goes wrong. And so Tracks Plus, our good friends at Tracks Plus, going to bring you the Friday deep dig, sometimes the Thursday deep dig during baseball season. Uh, hey, Bart. One other thing I wanted to say about the issue of pitching real quick. How happy is Scott Foxhall going to be that he actually gets to work with the guys who are going to be on the mound instead of having to play one night, come back and work bullpens with a bunch of guys who couldn't even go because we couldn't get enough, didn't have enough roster spots for everybody on a given day. You think, too, about the advantage of the coaches. They're going to be able to be more focused in who they're working with as well. So I, I think there's another advantage of having – a lot of depth, but a little bit smaller staff as well. 
you know, I was thinking about Sue Gunner, you know, the pride of Walnut Grove, Mississippi, and East Central Community College, the college with you in mind. It was ECJC when she was there, and she's a longtime coach at LSU. And we went down, we saw L- we were playing LSU one night in women's basketball, and they were, had it rolling down there. They were playing great. And she had seven players that were available, six scholarship players. And I looked at her and I said, Miss Sue, I said, it's got to be tough for you. And she said, DeBart, to be honest with you, it's the easiest coaching job I've ever had in my life. I can't overthink it. And so you just kind of play with what you play with a hand you're dealt. Hey, Doug Novak is going through that right now with the women's basketball team and what a couple of big wins last week for women's basketball and what they're doing with a limited roster. But sometimes as coaches, sometimes when you take away your your thought process, this is and this is not to say because I think Chris Lamonis and Scott Foxhall are two guys that we've been around that don't overthink it too much. They they manage from the macro and not the micro which is very refreshing to see. But uh, sometimes when you don't have as many guys, it doesn't give you a chance to overthink some things. Yeah, I mentioned Doug Dovak. I don't know when the last time a women's basketball team had to play with four on the floor, but he may be that way pretty quick. Uh, he just doesn't have anybody to go to if somebody fouls out. Uh, was it Mike Leach talked about needing open tryouts. Maybe we need to hit up the Sanderson and see who can, uh, who can hoop that's on campus. I tell you what, losing Danae Carter last weekend, you know, she's six foot. You know, she's not, you know, a big, tall presence down in the low post. Man, she played hard. And losing her to an ACL last weekend really hurt. They don't play this weekend. And then they play on Thursday night this week in the hump against Florida. But I tell you, here's the thing that's been refreshing about seeing, you know, that team play over the last few weeks is, yeah, they've gotten beaten sometimes when – they, you know, they were kind of out-athleted and playing against some really good teams, but they play hard. You cannot take away how hard they play each and every night. And they played hard Thursday night on the road and winning down at Auburn. Look, you just have to tip your hat to Doug Novak. He has held that thing together under some really tough circumstances. So, at the end of the day, that's what you want to see, a team that plays hard and, and, and competes. We're seeing that. Now, baseball season, I don't know that you and I will be getting on here saying, hey, but we played hard and competed. Uh, no excuses in baseball this year. It's going to be all about the wins and the losses. I don't think uh, we're going to be handing out popsicles for a uh, good effort after the game. Well, you know who says we don't make excuses, we just get it done. I do not know who says that, although I have a feeling that you are about to graft that quote on someone who didn't actually make it. No, they just get it done. That's like guys like John Chapley and Dennis Bach and – Johnny Ray and all these guys with Bank First, they just get it done. What do you need? Let's get it done. Commercial lending, mortgage, mortgage refinance, great customer service, a growing bank. They're continuously growing in Mississippi and Alabama. And Bank First, one of our sponsors here on Sunday Coffee, Charlie, no excuses. That should be a a marketing slogan. No excuses. They just get it done. Maybe we've laid the groundwork here for a new marketing campaign. You never know. All right, so closing thoughts. Hey, we're inside of two weeks now. You know, we're 12 days away, and Long Beach State's going to come in here. Still don't have game times. I guess we'll have the game times probably this week or next. And you you ask yourself the question, why are they waiting on game times? A lot of times it is dependent upon what you're looking at from a weather standpoint. I mean, because what what have we done in the last few years? We've set game times and then moved them the day before the game because – it's based on weather. You can kind of get a better gauge looking at weather. And in today's world where you're, 
you know, with social media and things of that nature, you can change a game time a little bit quicker. But I, I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of what we're waiting on right now as far as getting those game times for that first weekend against Long Beach State. But, hey, it's here before you know it. We talked about Long Beach State. They've got a great starting pitcher with Ramirez. They've got the best defensive catcher in the country. And then they've got a great guy, Devereaux, out of the bullpen. And so Long Beach State's going to be really good in the next couple weeks. And so, Charlie, I can't wait for it. Well, I want to take issue with that real quick. Um, They say they have the best defensive catcher in college baseball. I happen to think that we do. I happen to think that Dunhurst up at Ole Miss is pretty good too. So I'm not sure I'm going to go with the best defensive catcher. I I think they're going to say they got one who's pretty good. Can you go with me there? Well, I was trying to give credence to our guys at D1 Baseball, the guys that we use a number of their stats, and I was trying to be nice. And, of course – I think Logan is a tremendous catcher, and I think he is the best catcher in college baseball. But I just want to give them a kind of a tip of the hat and make them think that they give us a little bit of knowledge, in which they don't. But uh, we're going to have two really good catchers that first weekend. Is that is that a good way to put it? I think we'll have one very good offensive and defensive catcher, and then I think they'll bring in a good defensive catcher. He can't hit his weight. That's his big problem. It's why they can't play him. A lot of times, no matter how good he can defend. I want to go back to one other thing on scheduling, too, Bart. You know, we've got that interesting interaction that first weekend because we've got two basketball games that opening weekend. Now, one is here on Friday against Missouri. So we're going to be opening on February 18 in baseball against Long Beach State on a Friday. But currently, we're set to play Missouri in the hump at 6 o'clock that day. And, by the way, uh, showing by the current schedule is being on the SEC Network Plus. So I don't know what that will do to baseball. Does that move baseball up to a 1 o'clock start? It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, and that Missouri, that was a change that was made, what, a couple weeks ago? We're going to play them like on a Friday and a Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, Friday here, Sunday there. Oh, the joys of scheduling now. All right. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Yes, I guess uh, we get our real show this week, right? Yep, we're going to talk to Pat Casey, Matthew Maniscalco. Really good conversations with both of those guys. We'll get you ready for the 2022 baseball season. Of course, Pat Casey at Oregon State, you know, one of the guys with Ray Tanner winning back-to-back national championships. And just kind of want to get his thoughts on, you know, year number two. After you win the whole thing, the mindset of getting ready for, for year number two. And Pat Casey, one of the great guys in college baseball and, and always great to, to touch base with our good friend Matthew Maniscalco. Tremendous shortstop from Mississippi State from 2000 to 2003 and the, over in the Oxford, Alabama area. That's where he's from, and he's back over there now. And, man, just really proud of, of, of that guy and what he represents for being from Mississippi State. Charlie, hey, enjoyed it. And once again, thanks to our great sponsors for Strange Brew Coffee House, strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. Order you some of that great coffee. Order you some mugs some thermoses, whatever you need, strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. We're in the Farm Bureau studios. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Tracks Plus, a great Demi Seamoff mulching heads to go along with the, the Saney equipment and the Barco equipment. And then Bank First, a better way to bank, growing bank throughout Mississippi and Alabama. And the Mississippi Beef Council, the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association, and their checkoff. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Sunday Coffee.